Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Backseat Banter Carpool Edition. My name is Jonathan Silber, one of the hosts of the show, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Kendall Gammon, a former NFL player who served as a long snapper throughout his career. And, you know, you, you played a little tight end and some backup offensive lineman, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, too. But you really made your mark in the NFL by eclipsing that Pro Bowl mark in 2004. Um, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you on. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Jonathan. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so you won a national championship in college. You were selected to the Pro Bowl in the NFL, and you even competed in the Super Bowl. Talk about how you found your success a little bit at the highest level of football throughout the entirety of your career. Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned the national championship, and that was at Pittsburgh State University um, in Pittsburgh, Kansas. No H on the end of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I got there, it was a tradition already started that just involved winning there in the midst of a regular season win streak. I know during my career, uh, we won 55 straight regular season games. Wow. I only practiced after one loss my entire career. Uh, so the, the winning uh, became uh, definitely infectious, as you might imagine. And, you know, fortunately, I was... I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but fortunately drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now I've got the Pittsburgh with an H. Uh, so right off the bat, couldn't say where I was at. Absolutely. You got Myron Cope's terrible towel, <laughs> by the way, is the person who drafted me, if you want to get into that in a little bit. For sure. But, um, yeah, after college, I was either in Pennsylvania or I was in uh, Kansas because I could never be in Pittsburgh because people didn't have a clue what the hell was going on. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, just... You know, I learned at Pittsburgh State early on about goal setting, and it was always our goals to, you know, literally win every game, uh, win conference, get to the playoffs, and win a national championship. And um, we didn't win all the games, but we won most of them, and we got a national championship. And, you know, I had some individual goals also that I kept to myself a little bit because they were pretty audacious, and Mm -hmm. they involved getting to the NFL, if we want to talk about that a little bit later as well. But, um, you know, I've just been always of that mindset that, you know, what you create in your mind, what you believe goes a long ways towards manifesting it in real life. And uh, man, it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty effective for me uh, my entire life. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you're drafted by a, a specific person in the Steelers organization. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, going way back for when I was playing, uh, there was 12 rounds, not seven like there is in modern day. So um, as you can imagine, those last several rounds aren't real important. Not many people make it out of there. And the Chiefs had a little tradition uh, where they would let uh, Myron Cope make the 11th and 12th round picks. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I was the 11th round pick and it was he who had drafted me and, and not the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, coaches rather. And that was uh, Coach Cowher's first year, actually, yep. uh, there with the Steelers. And you know, it's kind of funny. I think I, I think they were looking towards it for sure because uh, the Steelers had missed the playoffs a year before and Chuck Knowles last year because of a bad snap. So it was kind of on the minds of everybody. But uh, it is kind of unique when you think about it that a, a 15-year career, you play in the Super Bowl, you play in a Pro Bowl, and you go on to uh, then also be an announcer for the Chiefs radio network for 13 years. Um and you got into the league because of uh, Myron Cope drafting you. Yeah, I mean, you, you filled the need that they clearly thought they needed. Right. And you mentioned Bill, Bill Cower, who is a, a legendary coach in, in the Steelers organization. You also played for Mike Ditka 
in New Orleans. Uh, you have any uh, stories regarding them as, as legends and any interesting, you know, teaching moments that they might have had with you or something, yeah. something along those lines? Yeah, you know, I always credit Coach Cower for um, thickening my skin, you know, because, you know, this is this is a very unforgiving profession. You either perform or you perish. And um, it's a what have you done for me lately? And, and um, I'd like to think I was mentally fairly tough, but uh, he really, as I said, thickened my skin. You know, when the snaps weren't in his mind perfect all the time, he was just back there and you could just, his, his arms would be crossed and he'd just be like, snap. And I, can, I still hear that in my sleep every once in a while. And it uh, used to get to me, but it continually made me aware of what I was trying to do. And, you know, I understand this is a rookie head coach and uh, you've got a rookie snapper you're going to entrust to uh, things too. So, um, you know what, fast forward, I think it was year three in the playoffs and I had a, I had a snap, a punt snap. It, it was maybe at the knees. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't my best effort. And I certainly wasn't ha happy with it. You know, and in the past, anytime there was a snap that wasn't great, Coward always come over there and, you know, tell me to go get some snaps and, and practice. And, you know, that's the last thing I want to hear. I understand why he was doing it, mm -hmm. but it's the last thing I wanted to hear. Uh, so this time in the uh, particular time in the playoffs, uh, I'm sitting on the bench after that. And nothing bad happened. The punt, we, we punted, we tackled. And, life's going on but I see him out of the corner of my eye making a beeline for me and I know he's going to tell me to go get snaps and before he could open his mouth about seven uh, yards away I just got up and looked at him and said I know the effing snap was low and he just kind of laughed at me and walked away and really never said much to me after that he knew basically that it mattered um, more to me than it did to him and, and it certainly mattered a lot to him so you know I think that's something that's uh, very important and I've, I've always tried to learn a lesson from which is you know ultimately uh, when you're more responsible and you care more about something than the others who are depending upon it also uh, that's when you've really gotten to uh, the right point in life I think. Yeah, so as a professional, you always want to refine your craft. I mean, us with the podcast, we, we've been doing this 90 plus episodes, and we're still learning things. So I'm sure as your career went on, you're picking up things. And eventually, in 2004, you, you got to the Pro Bowl level. What was it like being the first long snapper selected to play in the Pro Bowl? What was the process like being the pioneer, you know, of the long snappers for the future? Well, I appreciate the kind words. First and foremost, we'll go back to Cower a little bit because he's the one who added me to the Pro Bowl roster because uh, they'd lost in the AFC Championship game that year. And, you, you know, back then that the, uh, the losing team would coach uh, in the Pro Bowl. And so he gave me a call, uh, you know, that week afterwards, maybe the, the Monday. And I was going to pick up my son at school and I see this 412 area code, which is I know is Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And so I answer it. And I hear this hello, and I say hello, and he said, uh, "Kendall, this is Bill Cower." And of course, I, I I can hear that that voice in my sleep. I knew it. I said, "Yeah, I know. What are you calling me for?" And he said, "Well, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I've decided to add you to the the Pro Bowl roster." Wow. And I just, I I literally I think I started crying. In fact, I think well, I'm I'm doing it right now actually, which is you know I told him like you know what when you let me go. Uh, into my fifth year, uh, you made me cry then and you're making me cry again, but thank you. And it was a short conversation, but it was one that was, uh, you know, obviously pretty meaningful and can't say enough about it. As far as being a pioneer, uh, I, I appreciate the kind words. You know, there were several of us, but 
uh, I think I was on the forefront of coming in, uh, even though I was at one point in time, 310 pounds, a backup offensive lineman on mm-hmm. my best day, I might've been average. I was in the league because I could snap and do it at a better level than anybody else. And uh, very proud of that. Tried to take things to the, the highest level, tried to be <clears throat> the best in the world at what I was doing. And I think for a while I was, and what's funny is even when you're at that level, Jonathan, in the NFL, you still have a chance to be released uh, for whatever reason. I mean, uh, when they say it's a numbers game, it really is at times. And, and you have to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, they always say luck favors the prepared. And I was always prepared in terms of my snapping abilities. Mm-hmm. So um, it was it was cool. I remember Gary Anderson uh, a few days into camp, um, you know, realizing that I could do it better than anybody he'd had. And him just coming up and, and talking to me in that little South African ac- accent that he had and just wondered if I could snap the balls so the laces were facing out each and every time. And Jonathan, I just remember thinking, what is this guy thinking? I mean, what the, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like, well, I, I can try. I mean, I'm, I've never heard of that before, but I guess it makes sense. And he just explained that, you know, as a kicker, if the ball was sitting down there and he never had to see the laces spin, or he never had to see the laces, or, he, or worse yet, he didn't have to kick the laces, you know, Ace Ventura laces out, Dan, um, then he would, uh, it would allow him to be uh, more successful, have a higher field goal percentage. Again, made sense. So, I got the holder, uh, my holder uh, and punter, Mark Royals, and we just started working on it and working on it and working on it. And, you know, after a couple of days, I, I, I started doing it pretty well. And it just kind of went from there. And um, I, I think I have one, I'm one of the, the, the few guys early on um, that was doing that at that level consistently. Um, and it did, it does, it does make a difference. There's no doubt about it for the kickers. They appreciate it. Yeah, it for sure saves them you know, that minuscule amount of time, which can allow yeah. them to, to either make it or, you know, uh, be successful. And, and you said it, it's like a difficult league to, to be successful in because they're asking, what can you do for me? And if a kicker looks bad, it, it looks bad on you. So right. you, you make sure that, you know, everything goes smoothly. And that's crazy. I, I didn't even know that um, you, how, how is the process in, in timing the ball so that the, the laces go right in the way as yeah uh, so um i you know the 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 big thing was i would snap and they'd tell me where the laces were or show me and i just decide whether i needed to spin it a little bit more or a little bit less and i finally got to a happy medium uh where you know you know by the end of my career it was probably not, it was either 99 out of 100 or maybe 100 out of 100. It just got to where you, it, I'm, that's one thing I could still do in my sleep right now. I certainly can't run down the, the field anymore, uh, or at least not the way I used to. But uh, uh, it's one thing that I just honed and honed and honed and it came about and it made a big difference. Yeah. Um, so Sam is joining us, one of my co hosts. Thank you, yeah, Sam. Hey, Sam. Hi. Sorry I was late. I was stuck in the, the research lab. All good. Yeah, so we, we were just talking about uh, what it takes to, to be a pro bowler and, and refining your craft. Uh, but I, I wanted to talk a little more, Kendall, about what did it feel like to go back to Kansas City to play for your team for seven years and finish your career there? What, what did that mean for you, not, not only as a football player, but as a person? Like, what, what was the experience like? Because we know that when you go somewhere, you always gain something from it. We, right. we want to know, not only in a football standpoint, but as a person, what did that mean for you? 
Well, I came full circle because I remember my senior year going up with a friend to Kansas City to see my first Chiefs game. And I remember walking around the stadium. It hadn't opened yet. And uh, Prince's America was playing on a loudspeaker. I'll never forget <laughs> it. And I remember audibly out loud telling myself, I'm going to play. I'm going to play here someday. And to then come back to that same stadium, uh, Arrowhead, uh, and be able to finish my career the last seven of my 15 years uh, was unbelievably special for so many different reasons. Now you had family around, uh, you're established in the league, you're in the area that you generally think you want to settle. My boys uh, were now going to be uh, there as well. They were, uh, at the time when I came there, they were what, uh, four and one or, or, or five and two, something like that, four and one, I think. And uh, just playing there for seven years, uh, five of those under Vermeil, one under Herm Edwards, those last six, when we won games, we were allowed to bring our boys into the locker room afterwards. So I've got <laughs> pictures of the boys on the field uh, with me. I've got pictures of them actually walking out on the Pro Bowl field with me also, just wow. to let them experience it. And so being able to play uh, in, in what was my hometown, in a sense, even though I'm from Wichita, home state, uh, hometown boy, have my boys out there with me at times and them be old enough to remember it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's all just very, very special. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's where I settled, you know, and then to take a year off and then be on the Chiefs radio network for 13 years, night on the sideline, uh, three and a half uh, on the, uh, up in the booth. And, and my last game being uh, calling last year's Super Bowl win, uh, against the 49ers. Um, yeah, I've pin pinched myself sometimes because it's <laughs> it's been a surreal uh, experience at times. So what was that transition like going from being a player to covering the team? Uh, you know, it was it was okay. I had the year buffer in between. Mm -hmm. I tried to stay away from everything because, uh, you know, as, as we always joke, we have our 15 minutes of fame. I had my 15 years of fame and there was a new long snapper there, JP Darsh, uh, just a good dude. And so I tried to always stay out of the locker room uh, even that year, even though I was welcome because I was very, very tight with the equipment staff and just the, the folks at, up there, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. But then coming back and being able to be back on the sideline and uh, in my reporting and, and dealing with the travel that I'd done for 15 years, uh, it was really nice because when you leave the NFL, people don't realize how difficult it can be. I mean, essentially, uh, for me, I was 15 years behind everybody else because they had started in their profession yep. uh, when I came into the NFL. And, you know, granted, we're, we're paid well and you hope you take care of it. And, and I really did. But I remember trying to figure a way out of the NFL the minute I got in, not because I wanted out, but because I knew it was going to be a day that would come. Fortunately, it was my decision. The Chiefs did ask me to come back to camp my 16th year. And I just told them that, that I, I think it was time, it was time for me. And, and uh, so I'm one of the very few who didn't part on bad terms with the team. I wasn't mad because I was injured or that they messed me around or any other things. It was simply uh, my decision. They moved mm -hmm. on. They were okay with it obviously as well. I mean, it's the NFL shield. It, it goes on long after a player's career is over, but um, yeah, it, it was just, uh, Oh, I was getting at it. It's tough when you retire from the NFL because all your time is so spoken for uh, and, you, and, you, and you live in terms of the season and the off season, which I, mm -hmm. I continued to do, which was kind of cool and made it very nice. But 
uh, it's difficult. You know, I do a podcast just like you all. I do a, a, a YouTube show as well. And, and, you know, here just recently, I, I spoke with Eric Hicks, who was a teammate of mine and, and really had some issues after uh, after football uh, with alcohol, with, with mental side of things, with uh, his body and his injuries. And uh, that's not unique to a lot of players in the NFL. They deal with a lot of different things. So um, for me to have that continuity, uh, to be on the Chiefs radio broadcast was was really a blessing. How's the the podcast went? Uh, we we started during the pandemic, so we've slowly built this thing uh, mm-hmm. to something that we re- are really proud of. But um, <clears throat> how is the experience for you as, as a former player and and the connections that you have doing the podcast? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's great because uh, you know what what I found out during my career was that I did take care of my relationships and uh, most everybody they, that I ask are okay to come on and they're, they're pretty forthright, pretty revealing. And, um, you know, I do it hopefully to not only maybe make a difference with them if they need it, but more so to make a difference with others, to try to bring them uh, into what was our normal world, but a world that uh, was always closed off to them and try to inspire folks uh, with the type of mindset uh, and, and routines that we had as NFL players to, to do something at the highest level, to sacrifice your body, to deal with stress, uh, to deal with anxiety, all those different things, you know, doing some of it successfully, doing it some of it not so successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's why I do what I do. Um, I mean, these types of things, my podcast, my YouTube, uh, my social me- media, it's all about uh, e- emotional uh, communication, emotional strengths and, and relationships and relationship mm-hmm. building. Because ultimately, I think that's the most important life is important thing in life is how do you deal with people? If you can deal with people, I think you've got a chance to be successful. If you can't, uh, it, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And would you say that? So we were looking into your, your whole line of work and mm-hmm. you, you've written two books. Yes. Um, life's a snap building on the past and improve your future and also game plan leadership lessons from the best of the NFL. Um, how much of the, that wisdom um, that you just talked about building on the relationships, uh, working with other people th- did you put into those books? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. The, uh, the second one game plan was, mm-hmm. has a lot about that because, you know, in it, I interviewed different guys that I've been around Co- uh, Jack Del Rio, who was a coach of mine at new Orleans, mm-hmm. You know, I've got Coach Vermeil in there. I've got some players like Trent Green, the, the, you know, the late Kevin Green, who just passed here a while back. Um, Tony Richardson, oh, it goes on and on. Kevin Mawai, NFLPA president, Hall of Famer, and, and a few others. And, um, you know, I, I just tried to share as much as possible, to be as candid as possible. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's not always easy because I had a gun in my hands when I was 16 years old. I was abused uh, from age 10 on emotionally and physically and um, by my mother. And those are things nobody would have ever known. If you look at me from the outside, it's a national champion at Pittsburgh State, drafted 15 years in the NFL, uh, beautiful family, uh, yada, yada, yada. But the fact is, uh, I'm no different than anybody else. And I want people to understand that because I think oftentimes we get placed on a pedestal or we place people who are in more high profile roles uh, on a pedestal when when ultimately 
uh, they're no different. And that's mm -hmm. why I speak candidly on the things that I do. And that's why I try to inspire to, to you know, help people in whatever shape, in whatever uh, way, shape and, and form that I can. Yeah, it's, it's very powerful when you're trying to spread awareness and using your own story, which obviously it's very unfortunate. And, and we at Backseat Banter, you know, we took that to heart when we, when we saw that because we did see that when we were, were doing a lot of research on you. And we've spoken to several NFL players in, in the past, and we know just we have that different perspective of that they're not just these idols that you, you can worship right. because they played in the league. They're players. They have stories. They have so much that we don't know and so much goes on in their personal lives that we don't see on a daily basis. And being able to do this on a podcast has really opened the light and, and showed me that these aren't just beings that we look up to. They are right. people. And that's what we try and do on this podcast. We try and show the people who listen that you're just not a football player. You're so much more than that. And right. clearly what you've been able to do throughout your career and even after you retired from the NFL is amazing. And, and we, Sam and I, were really, really impressed when we saw the work that you've been doing uh, since you retired. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I've always said football is what I do. It's not who I am. And mm -hmm. uh, if you just indulge me a minute, April 17th, 2005, I wrote my life mission statement. And it goes like this. I will inspire everyone to identify and appreciate people and values in life. I'll demonstrate to all that it's okay to be vulnerable and that it's actually power that helps break down obstacles in life. Real people aren't perfect. I will allow all to not only see, but know the real me. I will touch people positively long after I've left this earth, and I will help all realize that they're not defined by what job they may have, but by the emotions they may stir. And all five of those principles in my life mission statement have nothing to do with anything physical. They're all emotional. Mm -hmm. They're all about making a difference. They're all about um, communication and dealing with people one-to-one -one in groups and whatever it may, de may be. And, and uh, you know, not to say that somebody who has a life mission statement that involves some physical things is wrong. It's not, mm -hmm. it's just, it's what I've chosen to do. That was a very pivotal uh, time in my life when I wrote that mission statement and I try to live by it. And I think if you guys did, uh, uh, check out some of my work, which I have no doubt you did, I believe you obviously, um, then you would know that what I just told you is basically manifested in what I'm doing uh, out mm -hmm. there uh, on my social media and uh, some other things that I've got planned as well. Yeah, so that's yeah, really you, beautiful, man. Can you, you can you tell the people a little bit because Sam and I've done our research, but the people listening might not know uh, the current work that you're doing out there. Uh, can you just shed light on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I've got my YouTube channel, so I've got my show. So when I do these shows with 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 folks, um, you can see it from a video standpoint. And we have some B-roll in there so you can get in their lives visually as well. Um, I, I do that. I turn that into a podcast as well. Uh, and then I have those cut up into little um, kind of learning snippets, anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute um, that, that will go on either Facebook, which is at Kendall Gammon, uh, Twitter, which is also at Kendall Gammon, I think. Uh, the LinkedIn is at Kendall Gammon and then uh, 
uh, Instagram is at Kendall Gammon 83. While I had to, why I had to put the 83 on there, I don't know. I mean, it was my number, but I didn't stay true to everything else. But uh, yeah, I have those things going on. Um, I'm working on a kind of a small book, a third one, which is about writing your life mission statement. And I try to throw in some mm-hmm. of my stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to speak all around the US. And of course, that's been tough this year with COVID, yep. mm-hmm. uh, which is a whole uh, another issue, obviously, from the isolation we deal with and how the, the toll that it's taken on people. But mm-hmm. it's all those little things that, that, that I'm trying to do. And then, you know, really opened up, uh, open to anything else that, that we can come up with. But, uh, you know, I'm, I just want to help people in whatever I, way I can. Uh, when I speak to folks, I think uh, it's a little bit unique because uh, if, if you're going to hear my keynote, uh, we're going to we're going to juggle. We're going to learn to juggle. You're going to see me juggle balls, clubs, <laughs> rings, and bowling balls. I've juggled center ring at Ringling Brothers twice. Um, I've competed nationally in an under 18. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, hell, if I'm a long snapper, you know, I'm doing some other weird things also. Uh, so, uh, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I try to uh, create anchors for folks. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was uh, uh, Socrates who said, I cannot teach anyone anything. I can only help, I can only make them think. And it goes on to say that the learning is remembering. And, and really, and the I, I'm a I'm a believer that most everything has been said. It's just how you say it in a way, hopefully, that will make others think and they can mm-hmm. remember it on a, a daily basis when it might come in handy. Yeah. yeah. You, and you... you were talking about how right now it's especially difficult with COVID to reach out to people to communicate, but also that's you're able to channel that in, in the podcast because that is a way that you could reach as many people right. without having to be there. And a lot of people right now, especially, are turning to sports. Uh, to podcasts as an outlet so they don't they don't have to be you know over analyzing the the real world they can kind of escape into into podcasting they can uh, live through those experiences while they're not able to have their own right now right um what what are your thoughts right now uh the kansas city chiefs are headed to their second super bowl in a row um okay well let's talk about that a little bit well, it's fabulous. I mean, if you watch the game, um, I don't think it was ever really in doubt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is special. I was fortunate enough to do the first interview in the locker room uh, in Denver after his first start. And and the guy is what you think he is. He is authentic and he is real and he is a kind person. He's a driven person. And um, he's just got so many different things, so many it's about him that it's it, it's amazing and it's it's so much fun to watch and mm-hmm. he is a true leader i mean everything he does he, he does it in the right fashion he's humble he's kind and, and he inspires people to follow him which i think is great and uh this chief's team i mean it, it is a dynasty in the making i think i mean they're really one coin flip away from possibly being in their third super bowl and possibly winning their third super bowl in a row they didn't but uh, you have to admit that it was close there so yep. um it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, this is the uh, uh, this is the goat versus possibly the future goat, and um, it, it's going to be one for the ages, I think. Yeah. Have you ever played um, in a game against Tom Brady, the the guy on the other side, and were like taken away by what he was able to do at, at the QB position, or? Um, you know what. I've played against him several times, obviously. Um, I don't remember not being impressed, but I don't remember 
being impressed also, you know, <laughs> um, probably more so um, watching him handle himself over at the Pro Bowl in, in 2005 when I went over mm -hmm. there, uh, he and Peyton and just how they dealt with things. That was probably more where I, I was a, a little bit more impressed with things. But uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm not impressed. I mean, six, <laughs> six Super Bowl <laughs> wins, you're now going to your 10th uh, championship mm -hmm. game. You're doing it with a team that wasn't in the playoffs last year, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or maybe they were in the first round. I forget. Um, well, they but, missed it last year. Yeah, they missed it last year. I mean, that's that's really you know that uh, on a separate note, that's what the NFL is about. Uh, the NFL mm -hmm. sells hope in the fact that you can be terrible one year and not be in the Super Bowl, uh, not be in the playoffs, and next year you're in the Super Bowl. It it, it happens obviously, and that's a, one of the many beautiful things about the NFL. But Tom Brady is amazing. Uh, number one, to do it as long as he. Uh, has at the level that he has and to, to really keep up the desire because at, at, at year 15 um, for me I, it was it was getting to be enough I had done it a long time that's a long time to do anything let alone you know snap a ball and get the crap knocked out of you mm -hmm. so um, I commend him for so many different things yeah so are you going with the Chiefs like undoubtedly as the heavy favorites in this matchup or is the bias not kicking in here? Um, there's probably hometown bias. There has okay. to be. But I do, <laughs> even if I try to get out of that, I do think I, I think Tampa's defense may be better than the Chiefs. I'm not sure on that one. Um, but I think the offense of Kansas City is, is heads and tails above Tampa Bay's. Now, uh, losing Eric Fisher at the left tackle spot is a, is a big deal. So you're only going to have one of the five starters from – uh, the team last year, and, and they've been makeshift the whole year. But uh, you give two uh, two weeks to uh, Andy Reid, and he'll he'll design anything. I think to to, to make things work. So I, I do think I think the opening line was either three or three and a half. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm still personally think the Chiefs have a chance to win by seven or more. I thought they were going to run away with the Buffalo game. The 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 line of three on that I didn't think was was uh, right at all but that being said I thought I thought Green Bay would win by double digits so uh, clearly 50% um, I can just close my eyes and point and uh, do it but uh, I am I am a Chiefs fan and, and I do believe the Chiefs will win yeah I before uh, this past game this Sunday I was having a conversation with Sam saying don't bet against Tom Brady blah blah and we, we have two other uh, co-hosts as well they couldn't make it today but we were just chatting about it and I was the only one to say Tom Brady and, and we did some polls on Twitter as well. And our fans um, said they gave Tampa Bay a 25% chance at winning this game. So they were considered the underdogs a little bit, but it's Tom Brady. You can't really bet against this guy, even if they are go going against the chiefs. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting game. If not close, interesting. Um, yeah, you know, either way, what I think finds interesting is, I mean, let's not forget if, if Green Bay had found a way to win, the narrative would be Tom Brady through three interceptions in the second half. Mm -hmm. and, and is that goat like now? I mean, I, he still is, and he did a great job of what he did in the first half, uh, was phenomenal. But I, I think it gets overlooked a little bit when, when you see what happened in the second half. I mean, he single-handedly almost let them back in the game. Mm -hmm. um, I think if not for the defense, uh, they would have been in real trouble. Uh, but, but again, I, 
I will say this, some of the things he did in the first half uh, amazed me and he drove some balls in there uh, a few times with more arm strength than really I thought he had. Mm-hmm. Well, the NFL and all, all these leagues are all about the stories. They try to sell, uh, yeah. like you said, a vision, a hope, so- something going forward. And you're right. If they lost a game, it would be, let's talk trash about Brady. Now it's let's hype him up. I mean, he, he is, if not, if nothing else, probably the most successful player to play oh, the yeah. game. Um oh. Right, you want you want to talk about um, talent or anything otherwise, but he he's found the most success on the field. Um, but it, it's interesting to to hear how the stories would be different if the outcome of the game was slightly different too. And um, a, a lot of the stories, and we have to admit, it, it is driven by this industry, right? People talking about sports. Um, let's talk about your podcast a little bit more. I know we went away from that um, to talk about. The, the upcoming Super Bowl matchup, yep. but, but what, what kind of, what, what's the message that you really try to, to spread on that show? Well, my pot, my, my podcast is called the extra point with Kendall Gammon. Mm-hmm. And I try to get into the psyche of, of my guest in terms of how they got to the level they got to, uh, you know, what they were thinking was their goal setting, were they writing them down? You know, uh, I do two, uh, smaller segments also that I cut up, cut up into pieces. One's called the power of gratitude because I'm bigger. I'm a big believer in the fact that uh, gratitude is the rawest of emotions and the most important emotion. I mean, if you're not mm-hmm. thankful for things in general, you're going to have a rough time. And the other one is, is about make a difference where, you know, I talk to folks about some of the things they're doing in the community and, and, and how they're making a difference or even how people have made a difference in their lives. And you know, I just try to have a, an open and honest, a real conversation with some folks uh, like you guys do very much, which is that, that maybe people wouldn't have a chance to talk to. You know, I did my very first one was with, with an F-18 pilot who was a top gun instructor. Now, um, to get into the NFL is pretty rare um, mm-hmm. and you're beating the odds, but nothing like being a top gun uh, instructor <laughs> and an F-18 pilot. And when we say we're in battle in the NFL, no, we're just playing a game. When they're in battle uh, in, in, in an F-18, I mean, it's life or death. So things like that were inter- interesting. Uh, you know, I actually, um, I did an interview uh, just recently with Mark Hittner, who was in his 24th year as a headlinesman in the NFL. He actually did the NFC championship game this week in Green mm-hmm. Bay. And, you know, Probably he and I'll have lunch again this week. Just by chance, he happens to be a Pittsburgh State gorilla. Uh, we have, I think we now have three Pittsburgh State gorillas that are refing in the NFL. And wow. that is amazing to me. Um, um, I don't know that there's even any universities that have two. Uh, I know we have two. I think the third one came in this year. But uh, And I should mention also, by the way, that I'm the assistant to the president of Pittsburgh State. So you're going to see me throw the gorillas in as much as possible. <laughs> um, but, you know, guys like that, um, you know, I recently just did a piece with uh, Will Shields, a teammate of mine, and we talked about a lot of different things. This is a guy who is uh, remarkably deep in his thinking and his regard for mankind and what he can do. Uh, he was the Walter Payton man of the year, uh, the highest honor. I think that was way back in either 2000, I think it was 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just getting into the psyche, I'll have one, 
I've got one coming out here in a week or so. I'll probably release it this week uh, with Barry Dean. He's a, a Nashville country music uh, writer. He's written four number ones. He's written over 1,500 songs. He and his brother uh, just uh, released uh, software and equipment for power wheelchairs. These wheelchairs for uh, uh the, the disabled that cost seventy five or eighty thousand dollars a piece. They developed smart technology for those uh, that's never existed before. They were a time top one hundred invention of the year, CES invention of the year. Um, what else? Uh, popular mechanics. It goes on and on. And so mm -hmm. it's just things like that, uh, and how they got that, and, and and what it took to get there, and and what they were thinking when they were facing really some dire odds mm -hmm. when everybody was telling them, no, you can't do this. And so I, I just try to come up with those things. I try to lend my opinion to it a little bit uh, as well as much as possible. And, and I just think uh, it, it, it's a fun endeavor. And I hope when we cut it up uh, so that some people who can't, can't or won't take the time to watch 15 minutes to an hour or something, mm -hmm. which I understand, well, maybe they will watch 30 seconds or 45 seconds where there's one little lesson taught in there that they just happen to see on mm -hmm. social media. And, and ultimately, as I saw, as, as I say, if you, if you, if you treat people like they matter, well, then they do matter. And this world just becomes a little bit better place. And, and really what I'm trying to do is, is treat people like they matter and meet them wherever I can. So maybe they can get something that will help them in their day-to-day -day life. And maybe then uh, allow them to want to move on and, and help somebody else as well. Yeah. So <clears throat> I had a, a question about your podcast specifically. When did you start it? And what, was it during the pandemic that, that led you to start the podcast? And uh, You know, I really just started moving things to the podcast in the last four weeks. I okay. started doing the extra points, the, uh, the video side of it. Um, about this time last year, just a little bit, I did three or four episodes before the pandemic really hit. And mm -hmm. then we paused for a while and, and then started doing some things uh, again and, and have done quite a few uh, recently. But um, so I, I'm not as far into it as you all are. I think, I, think, uh, I think I've got 19 in the can, but I think I've only released five or six. Uh, I'll release the Barry Dean one here soon. I'll, I'll release another one here soon, which I think people will find interesting because it's with Gene Bicknell, who who started National Pizza Company, and uh, they were once the largest owner of pizza huts in the world. And uh, this is a guy who's just done all kinds of different things. And again, I'm just trying to be eclectic. It's it's not all sports, not that that's wrong, but I'm just trying to to go all over the place and and uh, teach people. But yeah, to back to your question, haven't been doing the podcast side of it, releasing it uh, for very long. Yeah. So how has the pandemic affected the process? Because you started off doing it before the pandemic and, and now you have uh, 19 plus episodes stashed away. How does that affect, you know, meeting over Zoom or right. getting different guests that you normally wouldn't have gotten? Yeah, you know, um, you know, like uh, Morton Anderson is a teammate of mine and, and Morton's, you know, let me know that he's he's holing up until he gets his vaccine. That's good enough. Mm -hmm. He does a podcast and he does everything by Zoom. I prefer to be in uh, uh, be in person with him. So I'm waiting uh, on somebody like that. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to, to be a, uh, a guest of his at his Hall of Fame induction three years ago. And and I want to be in person with him when we when we do our 
our interview. So it's things like that. Some people just uh, aren't into it. I, I just really kind of paused it for quite a while. And then when some of the things uh, loosened a little bit, you know, there, there were just some people who were okay if, if we did it, if we were socially distanced enough and they they felt safe and, and I felt safe. And so we did some that were somewhat, in, I mean, they were in person, but, you know, mm -hmm. distance a, a little bit. And um, it, it's been okay, uh, you know, to each his own. Everybody's got a different, uh, I guess, take on everything that's mm -hmm. going on. I mean, obviously it's real when I say that, I mean, different people just have different safety levels that they're, they're comfortable with, mm -hmm. but um, to, to, to be quite honest, it just really completely put it on pause for me for quite a while. Yeah. See, we actually took the opportunity to record over zoom because we, yeah. we are a smaller show. We have a lot fewer connections. So it, it made it actually easier for us to mm -hmm. reach out to people and meet new people. And we feel extremely blessed to be able to do this the way that we're doing it. I don't think when we started, we thought we would be here speaking to someone like you. Um, so that that's really wonderful that, that we've been able to grow this, but we took it kind of as a, not necessarily a positive because obviously there's a lot right. of bad that comes from it, but we try to make the best of the bad situation absolutely, and try to grow what, what we can do. Um, and then eventually hopefully transition to doing something more, um, traditional in person, but while, while we have, you know, while we're forced to do it, I, I'd rather take, make the most of it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I'm a big proponent of the fact of, you know, we have the ability to assign whatever meaning we want to whatever it, it is. And just because, uh, we may assign some positive to what's going on in the world in terms of how we're dealing with things doesn't mean we believe COVID's a good thing. It's just that we're seeing what positive we can and get out of it. And, and basically that enhances our life. I mean, when you, it, when you look at things, I think generally in a negative way, then that's a, a, a ultimately what I think you're going to manifest. And what you just told me is you looked at, at what you had, the environment you had to deal with, you found the positive and you exploited it for what it was, which I commend you for. Everybody should be doing stuff like that. Not again, not that COVID's good, obviously, but you can't you can't put life on hold for anything. I don't think. Yeah, uh, we we at Backseat Banter didn't do that. We, you know, Sam and I started a podcast the year before that, and we were in college, so it got a little busy. So we put that on pause and then came back to it. And it's been extremely successful due to the ability that we can communicate over Zoom is, is a large right. part of that because, I mean, you're God knows how many miles away from us. We probably wouldn't have been able to sit down with you in person right. if we were doing this in person. So it, it has opened the doors for so many creators like Sam and I to be able to get in touch with people like you, hear your stories and share that with our audience as well. So it's really opened the doors for, for so many possibilities that I really didn't imagine uh, this leading into. So it, right. it's really been a ride. Um, again, we, we, we thank you for joining us on this episode. Uh, give our viewers one more chance to, to let them know where they can find you and what you're doing with your podcast. And, and yeah, all my social media is at Kendall Gammon with the exception of, of Instagram, which is at Kendall Gammon 83. And then my YouTube channel is at Kendall Gammon as well. So pretty simple there. Uh, my website is kendallgammon.com. You can go on there and see some things. I 
you know, I, I speak all over, obviously it's been on hold here recently, but getting back into that. And, you know, I just, I want to uh, thank you all for having me on. I, I commend you for what you're doing and uh, kudos. I think you said 90 plus episodes. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievable. And I, all you, all your listeners out there, um, I appreciate you all. I appreciate the fact that you would, you would uh, tune in and want to listen and, and see what we have to say and see what we have to share. We're honored. And thank you again for so, uh, taking this time. It means uh, the world to Sam and I. Everybody listening at home, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, please consider leaving a rating. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Go check us out on Instagram at backseat.banter and at Twitter at bbpodofficial. It has been a pleasure again. Kendall Gammon, thank you so much for joining us. Backseat Banter out.